0: Thank you for the privilege, really, to to lift our voices, hopefully, that we're connected to our heart, and to proclaim worthiness to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to lift up your name here, Jesus. Lord, this ministry is about you, and we want you to be the center focus of the message today, Lord, of our minds at this moment, of our hearts, and, and God... You've really described us as sheep, and, and we're very distractive creatures. So Holy Spirit, help us to focus today. Help us to drink in, to take in the truths of your word, that they really would, would address every area of our life that we need today so that we could just be growing in our walk with you, deepening in the faith, and bring an honor to you. Thank you for the lives that are here today, Lord. Thank you for these precious young ones that you've entrusted into our ministry. May we all receive a building by the Holy Spirit through the Holy Word today, God, that our lives would bring you great honor in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to turn to 1 Thessalonians 3, that's where we'll be. the the heart of paul the apostle just amazes me because really when you look at what this man endured what jesus did with him and through him obviously he had a special anointing and calling on his life but he just kept going he just kept going no matter what the adversity was uh, his heart was always on eternity and, and when I look at him, I mean, he really, obviously, Jesus is our supreme example. Paul the Apostle was cut of the same cloth that you and I are. And, and when I look at him, he, he really takes away any of my excuses or justifications that I want to make in my own life, because he just, he does life right. He really does. He, he's not perfect, and he'd be the first to tell you that, calling himself the chief of sinners and the least of the apostles and everything else. You know, he's a very humble man, but, but, but he just chose to do life right. And when we look at this, he's right into this church. And, and remember, he was only there for three weeks. And, but you can hear his heartbeat through this epistle. You can just hear his heart beating through this epistle for them. And it's like, how, how can you just love somebody so much for spending so little time with them? Because it's amazing. It's just a connection that the Holy Spirit makes. If we're doing life right, you know what? We love each other. We're in here and we love each other. We care about one another. I mean, I just was thinking about it. He was there for three weeks and he cared so much about these people. And I was thinking about it when we went to Kenya years ago. There was a guy by the name of Uncle William and we worked alongside him in an orphanage. And I just, I love this guy so much, even though I probably only spent a week with him while we were there. And I think about him often and ask God to bless him. You know, because of the connection that the Holy Spirit makes, because of the love of Jesus Christ working through your life, working through my life, and us connecting with one another. But that's what we see here with Paul. That's what we see with him caring so much about this church. It's easy just to start a church and then go do your own thing, but Paul, Paul cared so much about the church. And as I think about that, I think about him, the way he saw these ministries, he was like a dad to them. Because, really, it was him bringing the gospel And and when they received the gospel, they were born of the Spirit. He watched them be born. You know, if you've had the opportunity to see your children be born, you know, it's a special experience and you have a special responsibility, a special connection, you have a great amount of love. And and, and that's the way he was. Matter of fact, he even wrote to the church of Corinth. He goes, even though you, and there's so many problems there. He says, even though you got 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not many fathers. And he cared about them with the heart of a father. So we, we see as he's writing to this church here, who's doing very well, but Paul at the time, remember, no Facebook, no social media, no Snapchat, no, you know, no uh, whatever else is out there. I'm like unplugged so, somewhat. Uh, you know, whatever else is out there for connection, he didn't know how they were doing. But he did know this. When he left the place, he knew, like he told the believers at Ephesus, grievous wolves and false teachers are going to enter in. They're not going to spare the flock. And he would always try to prepare people. In the Bible, if we're doing it right, if we're studying it right, if we're living the life of a disciple, we're going to recognize that the Bible brings preparation in our life because there's a lot of fluff and stuff out there that isn't biblical. There's a lot of junk out there that's not preparing people. They're preparing people for things that that aren't actually going to happen instead of getting them ready for the things that are going into these end days. (coughs) So is. Is Paul's writing to this church here? Look what he says. He he says, "Wherefore, when I could I couldn't take it anymore. I could no longer forbear. Uh, I thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and I sent Timothy, uh, out our brother, minister of God, fellow laborer of the gospel of Christ, to establish you and comfort you concerning the faith." Paul said, "I couldn't take it anymore. I had to know how you were doing, and I had to send Timothy to build you up." You know what I see in this guy? I see in Paul the Apostle the absolute absence of self-focus. The absolute absence of self-focus. It didn't matter what was going on in his life, what mattered to him, what was going on in other people's lives. He had this very sacrificial mindset as he worked through life, and I think that's why he was so effective. He was always concerned for others. He, was a, he had a life in a ministry that was patterned after Jesus' life in ministry. Walked as Jesus walked, and he laid down his life for the sheep. That's what we see here. But what I love about this here is look who he sent. And, and I know we, we, we brushed on this at the end of a service a few weeks ago. But he sent Timothy. And, and, and Timothy... What I love about Timothy, and, and remember, I wanted to erase the mindset. I've even had that mindset that he was just kind of this weak, timid man. Paul had to tell him to take medicinal wine for probably the ulcers in his stomach. But I'll tell you what, there's no gr- greater compliment that's ever been placed upon an individual by Paul the Apostle than what he said about this man, Timothy. He said, I have no man like minded. Greek, equal-souled. Timothy had an equal soul as Paul had on his perspective of people, on his perspective of God, on his perspective of the ministry, on his perspective of the word. This young man was taught the scriptures from a youth, and it looked like he had the absence of a father. But you know what he had? He had a grandmother and a mother that were the real deal. We can't underestimate his parents displaying the real deal before our kids. The impact it can have not just on their lives, but the future of the kingdom of God. He observed genuine Christianity, his whole upbringing. His mom and his grandma were the same at home as they were at church. It says here that that he was a brother which literally means that that he was born again into the family of God, but he had an equal position, so he would be very relatable and have love for them. He was a minister of God. What does that mean? A minister literally means you go into other countries and these ministers, man, they get the royal treatment. That's not what Jesus has called ministers to be. He's called them to be the servant of all. That's what Timothy was. He was a servant of all. And he was also a fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. He made efforts, he made sacrifices to advance the kingdom of God. He gave of himself, he gave of him his resources, he gave of his time to make Christ known. He gave his life. And it cost him. I believe Timothy, from what I remember, he died a martyr, but more than that, he was willing to even allow himself to go through physical trauma, physical trials, all because of the gospel. Because getting the gospel into people's lives, seeing souls touch, fighting for the souls of lost men and women were more important to him than taking care of himself. And choosing an easier life. This was the kind of man he was. But Paul sent him because this. He wrote the things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Paul invested in this young man's life. The investment that Paul made in this man's life was an investment in the kingdom of God. And it probably, Timothy was at a point where, where Paul needed him. He needed his encouragement. He needed his fellowship. But of all that Paul needed with Timothy, he believed that this church needed him more. So he esteemed their needs greater than his. That's biblical. That's Philippians chapter 2. And he sent them because he wanted to establish them and to comfort them concerning the faith verse 3 says this that no man should be moved by these afflictions if you will turn to psalm uh, 16 with me for a moment Paul didn't teach easy believism. He wasn't all about making numbers. He cared about seeing people converted through the good news of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And after that, just the life of a disciple, he prepared them for the life now ahead in Christ. It's going to be landmines on that narrow path. The moment that you became a child of the living God you no longer are a captive of the enemy. And the enemy knows that. And he's going to harass you. He's going to make things hard on you, man. The the, the world system, your own fallen flesh, and and the devil and and his forces aren't going to make it easy. They never have. But I hope when you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you didn't come with a contract with conditional clauses in it. But we came to Christ because we're sinners, and He's the Savior, and He provided on that cross what it took for you and I to be saved, what it took for you and I to be forgiven. And it might get get bumpy along the way, but we didn't put any conditions on how how we're going to follow. Lord, I'll follow you if. No, I'm going to follow you because you saved me. So when he says here that that I don't want any man moved by afflictions, the Bible tells us that many are the afflictions of the righteous. Paul says if we live godly in Christ Jesus, we will suffer persecution. You've got to know this, that that being a Christian, adversity is our forecast. It's a wonderful life. It's the best life. It's the blessed life. But it's not the easiest life. On the inside, man, we've got peace, we've got joy, we got hope, we've got everything that we've been looking for. But on the outside, things can be extremely hard, harsh, difficult. And Paul didn't want to see them moved. He didn't want to see people pulling back, defecting, whatever it might be. The word affliction that we're seeing here in Thessalonians stay there in the Psalms we're going to go over that move by these afflictions the Greek the Greek word is philipsis it literally means to be squeezed to be crushed to to be placed under pressure the, there's outward difficulties and emotional stress for being a believer for being a believer We need to know what Paul said that in the last days will come perilous times. These are the days that we're living in, these same days. The Holy Spirit's concerned that you and I would not be moved because it's very similar. In the Psalms here, David writes in verse 16, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand look at I shall not be moved so that's telling us in our lives that it's so important for us if we're going to be unmovable that we're going to keep God first that we're going to keep him as our priority that we're going to lock focus on him and to know that there will be storms, to know that there will be trials, to know that there will be persecutions. But in the midst of all those things, we can see Jesus Christ and His sovereignty at the helm. And because of that, we will not be moved. His rightful position... Supplies to us immovable strength. And when we go through these things, because we will, disciples go through these things. We're in the days when we'll go through these things. We need to know that these are things to embrace, not to avoid. When we embrace these things, they prove the reality of our faith, Peter tells us. When we embrace these afflictions, these times of pressure, outward difficulties, emotional stresses, Paul says that it gives us something, an experiential enablement where we're able to minister comfort to others because of what we've been through. Romans tells us that it's working the graces of godly character and perseverance that will end with hope in our love by the Holy Ghost working to a greater degree than it ever has. That's a good thing. It's a needful thing. And Job says through it all that when these things take place, we get purified and we come forth as gold. These are foundational facts for following. Foundational facts for following. Not just for attending, not just for participating, and not just for observation, but for following Christ. You can turn back to Thessalonians with me if you're still in the Psalms. He says here, for verily when we were with you, okay, we, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass and you know. Now now Paul just didn't come teach it in word, he, came, he, he taught it also visibly. He showed up with, with, with the bruises, with the marks, probably still the open wounds from everything. He, he, he suffered before he got to that church for the gospel's sake. He wasn't just talking to talk, he was actually walking to walk. And when we look at this, you know, he, he's warning. He's 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 piloting this church, and he's warning them. You know, you know, if you've ever flown, you, you can be in the middle of a smooth flight, right? And then all of a sudden, ding, 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 that that seatbelt thing goes on, and then all of a sudden, you hear it over the the loudspeaker, the pilot speaking to you. Uh, please buckle up. There's turbulence ahead. He's given a warning. He's given a warning that it, look, it's going to be a bumpy ride ahead. So. It, it, is Paul's the head pilot here at the church of Thessalonica. He, he's given them warning because, you know, forewarned is forearmed. And, and, and then you have an understanding. You, you don't have these false conclusions or false expectations, but, but you, you're, you're living in the reality of what it is to be a disciple. And he says, because when we were with you, we told you that we should suffer tribulation. Paul was faithful to prepare the church for the days that laid ahead for them. This is Paul, Silas, and Timothy writing to this church. This is the church at Thessalonica. But we look at this and he says, Verily, when we were with you, we told you that we should suffer tribulation, that that's what's going to happen. Look, we're heading into the end days at a rapid clip. And I'm telling you, I'd love to tell you that it's going to be roses to the rapture, but I've told you for years, I don't believe it's going to be roses to the rapture. I don't think there's any time more important to get closer to Jesus Christ than you've ever been at at this very moment. And I'm trying to tell you to buckle up, because I think we've got a bumpy ride ahead. But you know what we do? We keep the Lord before us. If it's going to be a bumpy ride ahead, you know what we need to know? We need to know who's at the helm. The one who died for us. The one who rose again for us. The one who prepared a kingdom for us. Who's going to be there for us every step? The way even what Paul said in Timothy, probably Silas was still there, but even if Silas wasn't, even at the end of Paul's life, he said, Though all forsook me, the Lord stood by me. The omnipresence of God was sufficient. The presence of Jesus was sufficient for him in his loneliest of times. He saw the turbulence ahead, he warned them, like I told you, Second Timothy chapter three, in the latter days shall come perilous times, that's difficult days, times of pressure, times of crushing. Men will be lovers of themselves, and the list goes on, and we're watching it unfold. Suffering, unfortunately, is inevitable when we live out our kingdom purposes. But great usability has come from people who have been wounded deeply. You think about how many people have been built up and used so greatly by an Elizabeth Elliot, by a Corey Tenboon, by the different missionaries and the martyrs, the Richard Wormbrands. How we've gleaned comfort and encouragement, and we wouldn't have that if they didn't go through all those things. And their books and and their testimonies have been used so greatly because they've been wounded so deeply. And and I think that God's always trying to get our minds and our vision around what we're experiencing and around what we're seeing at this moment to see beyond to the good and to the glory. We're told that if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. If we choose to identify with Jesus in his life, who suffered? That we get to anticipate identifying and being with him in eternal life forever. So often God's looking by his spirit through his word for us to transfer focus. Focus. He told the church of Smyrna of all the things they are going to suffer. Fear none of these things that you're going to suffer. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. He always wants us to see the finish line. He always wants us to live with a finish line in sight. Paul wrote in another epistle that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works a far more exceedingly weight of glory. It's for a moment, Paul says. He sees it on the scope of eternity. This little blip we call life. James calls it a vapor. And through it all, he's trying to communicate an overall message that godly living is worth it. But even knowing maybe that's you today, you're going through things, maybe you're suffering things, maybe you got some tribulation going on, being squeezed, crushed, under pressure, outward difficulties, emotional stress, keep this thing in mind. The life of turbulence is heading to an unimaginable, unfathomable destination. The ride's just a little bumpy. For this cause, and you just feel almost like this spiritual anxiety in him, not a bad anxiety, but for this cause when I could no longer, I couldn't take it anymore, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. He knew the enemy's tactics, and he knew when Paul was out of the way, the enemy would come in, and he would try to destroy the work of God. But his greatest concern we see here, is there a spiritual condition? Are you growing? Are you deepening? Are you clinging to the promises of God? That's what Paul cared about. Look at, he said, lest the tempter had tempt you to do what? To leave the faith? To abandon your call. To empty your irreplaceable position in the church as he whispers in your eye you your ear you you have no you have no place here you have no value do nothing when the word of God says we're like a body and every part is needed and super valuable to make all this happen Where the enemy would come in and cause you and I to believe lies about God. If he loved you, why? To to allow situations that aren't good to doubt the fact that God is good. To believe lies about his word, when we look at the character of our enemy, he calls him a tempter here. You know, I think, the, I think Satan has 30 different names, or around 30 different names in the scripture, I think I heard. But we see him three times in the scripture speaking. The first time we see him in Genesis 3 tempting Eve, trying to get her to doubt God's word. The second time we see him in the book of Job bring an accusation against God's people and the third time we see him trying to tempt Jesus. That's what he aims to do. He aims to destroy faith. Paul told Timothy that he to kick Hymenaeus and Alexander to the curb because they were shipwrecking people's faith. They were double they were satanically set. We need to remember anywhere that God is at work, the enemy's at work. Paul had a great concern. Go to uh, Mark 4 with me real quick if you will. Now, in Mark 4, the parable of the soils, right? And, and the soil went out, so he sowed seed everywhere. Remember, you didn't judge the soil. You just put the seed out there and let it do its work. But, but here's the, here was a condition that Paul had. This, this was the, the concern, not condition, the concern that Paul had. That because of the heart condition, hearts can react differently. When it comes to the Word of God. In verse 16, he spoke about this ground, Mark 4 16. He said, These likewise, which are sown on the stony ground, who when they have heard the Word, they immediately they receive it with gladness. Man, they're happy, man. That's great. Jesus died for my sins. This is great news, man. I get to be a part of this church. These people are so nice. But they have no root in themselves. They didn't allow the truths to go deeper and deeper and and become an anchor. So they endure for a time, but afterwards, when affliction, there's the word, or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they're offended. They stumble. They fall away. That was Paul's concern. But if you remember something that we camped out on, and I think I referenced this very chapter, was it was how they looked at the word of God. They did not see the word of God as the word of man. They saw it as the word of God, which effectually worketh in them. That's the way that they embraced it. They received it. So if you go down in verse 20, and it says, they that are sown on a good ground, they hear the word, they receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Because they received the word. They heard the word, and they received it. And you can go back to Thessalonica there, or chapter 3. They received it not as the word of men, but as it was in truth, the word of God, which effectually works in all you that believe. It's so important how we receive the word of God. Are we taking it in? Are we praying it in? Are we receiving the word of God? Is it causing roots to go down in our life that are proven by the ability to weather storms, weather trials, weather fires? Look, we've been doing this a long time, since 03. A lot of people have come and gone. Some have just moved or they've they've gone to other churches. Old Paz doesn't have the market on ministry. But, but so many people, unfortunately, they've turned their backs on Christ. Things got hard. They got tempted away. The tempter won. They were taught the same truth as you were taught, encouraged by the same Jesus that you were encouraged by, worshiping the same King of Kings that you and I worship. But the tempter got them because of what they were allowing the word to do. Be like this church. This church is an example to this church. That we receive this word and we allow it to go down, to take root in our lives. So no matter what comes, when the enemy comes, we still hang in there, Paul said, and that our labor is in vain. And and I think one of the things that that Paul, well, verse 6 says, but now when Timothy came, from you to us. So he brings back news and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity that you have a good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see you. I believe this was a relief to Paul. And the reason I believe that this was a relief for Paul to hear their heart towards him was not for his ego's sake, but for their faith's sake. What the enemy wants to do is, is if the enemy can get them thinking lies about the messenger, then they can cause them to disbelieve his message. And I think that was Paul's main concern. It wasn't an ego trip. It was building their faith. That was Paul's main concern. Therefore, brethren, we, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress and your faith and and like I said, we've been doing this a long time and, and you just in a ministry, you could talk to the other guys that serve here that, that you go through seasons of great discouragement. But, but one of the things that brings so much encouragement and, and, and so, so much comfort is that when you're going through it, God brings to our remembrance what he's doing in your lives, what he's doing in your family's life, the witness you are, the life that you are choosing to honor Christ. God uses you, your life, your testimony at times when you don't even know it. So I want to encourage you to stay the course, keep your hand to the plow. Don't look look back and allow your life just to continue to be the like Christ has called it to be. Remove the things that are hindering, deeper places with Jesus, and let him take you to the places that he wants to take you. He says this, for, for now we live, if we stand fast in the Lord, the word Lord there is curios. it speaks of sovereign power, and absolute authority, and, and absolute ownership, okay, and that's where we find life. We find life under the loving leadership of Christ. When we are fully submitted to his authority in our life, his absolute ownership in our life, that's where we find life. A lot of people out there want the saviorship of Christ, but they don't want the lordship. I want to get saved. I don't want to get to go to hell, but I don't want God calling the shots in my life. And they're not living. You're not experiencing life that way. That's not where you experience life. The abundance of life that Jesus Christ has, proffered, or has promised to you and me is from living in a rightful position, keeping him first. What he says goes. He's my authority. So you, you can hear the relief in Paul. You know, it, it, it's almost like when he hears about the good news from them and encourages them to live, it, it's almost like watching your own children, weathering their storms, and they're keeping the faith and knowing that well, if they're okay, I'm okay. You just feel the, this fatherly love that he had for this church. He says, "For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before God?" Third time, we got three chapters, three times. What's Paul doing? He's expressing his grateful, his thankfulness. He's so thankful for the church. He's so thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and they're allowing God to work in their lives. They're staying the course. They're being an example. They're not going, and they cared about him. This is what he says in verse 10, night and day. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and perfect that which is lacking in your faith. You know, when the Holy Spirit has just the influence, when the Holy Spirit's influencing you, that he sets our mind priorities. And in, in, in the, in the two priorities, I believe, of the Holy Spirit when it comes to our life is the God of the people and the people of God. And that's what continues to flash before your mind. And it's so important that, that we remember when God lays somebody on you that, that you would pray for them. As Paul here was praying for the church, he said, you know, night and day, I, I, I was just thinking about, I remember my long rides into work. I mean, I look back at it back then, kind of a drudgery, but now I look back and I found it such a blessing where it was just me and Jesus in that car. You know, I was listening to Christian radio, but, but it was so much time to pray and to really draw close to the Lord. They were really sacred times, times I really miss. And, and I remember even, you know, praying about people, praying for their salvation, praying night and day. I remember that the, we're, we're uh, driving into 490 in Leroy. I remember just a, a marker in my heart at the bend in Leroy. I, I would pray for one of my unsaved friends and one of Harley's unsaved friends every day at that marker, just praying, just continually trying to be consumed with the things that God cares about. And, and I think it, it's so important for you and I. That, that like when we think about these things that come across us like through the prayer chain it, it, is that I'm, I have benefited from the prayer chain I have a son I believe God miraculously saved his eye because of your prayers I believe that I don't believe it was luck I don't believe it was coincidence or anything I think it was the moving of the hand of God through the prayer of God's people And I think it's so important for you and I that we would get rid of the things that are standing in the way of us really connecting with God, especially on behalf of other people. Paul prayed for the people night and day. And he wanted to see their face and perfect what was lacking in their faith. And he says this, that God himself and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ May he direct our way unto you. And I want the Lord to make you increase and abound in love one towards another and towards all men, even as you do. Even as we do towards you. I believe that's an area of our life where we should never be content it's an area where, where we should never think that we've ever attained. I believe that there's always room in our lives to grow more in the love of God towards him and towards one another. I believe when you look at it that this really it's the church growth program. That we would grow in the love of God towards one another and also towards all men. What should happen in here on Sunday is that the love of God should be poured out from heaven into our lives, that we should pour that back and forth into one another's life, but that our cup should get so full that we would take the love of God out into a loveless world. And we spread the love of Christ on them, and the truth of Christ and the good news of the gospel, which is the greatest message of love. This is the Holy Spirit's church growth program. It's the Lord, the Lord make you, so it's God's work, it's his work, but we have to be workable material. We have to be workable material. We have to be open containers and willing to go get a supply from God that we cannot produce for ourselves. Let's not think that we've ever attained but know that God wants to do greater things with the fruits of the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives that we'd fill up today and that we take it out there to the end. Okay, Remember, the end in sight, right? Paul always living with the end in sight. To the end, he's going to establish strength in your hearts, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of Lord Jesus Christ, With all his saints. I'm so thankful that the Bible is just saturated with prophecy. Because when I look at Bible prophecy, it doesn't confuse me. You know what it does? It gives me hope. This world isn't going to stay this way forever. The creator of it's coming back. And he's going to reverse the curse. We've got a lot of great news ahead. That's why when we came back from the whole driving thing, man, I did the book of Revelation because we got a lot to look forward to. A whole lot to look forward to. And I'm telling you, you cannot ignore Bible prophecy. I got no idea why pastors do. I got no idea why churches do. You look at this church, probably maybe the healthiest church in the Bible or one of them, and, and he's always speaking about the Lord's return. John says it purifies us even as he's pure. It gets us ready. It helps us remember. It keeps us close. Jesus could come today. So when we look at our own lives and think, if Christ were coming today, what would I change? The answer should be nothing. But if the answer is something, then that something needs to change today so that we're ready to meet our Lord face to face. Turn to the Gospel of John with me. Actually, go to Isaiah 53. I know I reference this a lot, but I I think it's not just a reminder of what Christ did for us, but it's also a reminder of the life that he lived that at times we can identify with, that the life Jesus lived wouldn't line up with a lot of books out there. So called Christian authors are writing. Look what it says about him. He was despised and rejected of men. That's verse 3, Isaiah 53 3. And he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, life was hard for Jesus, <laughs> it was just hard. It was adversity, it was tribulation, turbulence. He was acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus came into this world and they crucified him. Because in their eyes, he didn't fit in. So if you're treated like you don't fit in, it's because you don't fit in. You were born for another kingdom. Your principles, your priorities, your outlook, your vision, it's different. And a godly life can really be offensive to people who live in dark. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes. We are healed. It was all us. It was all because of us. Not him. He just took the place. He laid down his life. We get to take communion today. Communion has been taking place since it was established by Jesus in the upper room. And it was a reminder to us of the sacrifice that he made. And we're supposed to do it as a church until he comes back for us. And that's what we do. We do it once a month because we don't want to get like real traditional or, or cause it not to mean anything. We want it to be fresh every time we do it. Because the act of the cross was the most important, most valuable thing that's ever taken place in the history of humanity. If he didn't shed his blood, you and I would be dead in our sins. If he didn't raise again the third day, we would be the fools on the earth. Our faith would be worthless. But his blood was shed so you and I could be forgiven. I don't know if you're struggling where you stand with God, but I know this, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, through his word, he reaches into people's lives and, and he draws people to himself. Because it's not his will that you would perish but that you would actually be gifted with eternal life. Maybe like that verse that we read, for now we live, if, if you stand fast in the Lord, may, maybe you've never put Christ in that position of being your Savior and your Lord, the absolute authority. And you know you're not living, you're only existing maybe from one thing to another, one person to another, one fix to another, whatever it might be, then there's no better moment in the history of your life to give your life to Jesus Christ than at this very moment. To acknowledge your sin, to be willing to turn from it, and to ask Christ to forgive you, and to become your personal Lord and Savior, and to celebrate this great act of love, communion with us. So as we take communion today the cup with the juice symbolic of the blood that was shed on the cross because of you because of me because of us because Christ would have rather suffered on that cross and suffered with the thought of knowing that he'd be se- you'd be separated from him forever and his body was broken And the work of that cross broke the power and the penalty of sin in our lives. If that doesn't mean everything to you, it needs to mean everything to you. Because that's where it all changed. Everything changed there, then. And as we pass out the elements, don't just slam them down. This isn't like a a pre-lunch snack. This is sacred. Take a moment. Bring your heart into the presence of God. Let him tweak. Let him encourage. Let him do what only he can do as Lord of Lords and speak into your life. He loves you. Loves you. And this is the proof. Father, we thank you that you laid down your life for us, Lord. We thank you that you're there for us. Things can get difficult down here and will for the church. That we can always see you in control. And I pray, Lord, that as we take communion today, that we would reflect and that we would remember that our lives were worth your son suffering and being crucified for to give us redemption to give us salvation to give us eternal life We thank you, Lord, that you're so forgiving, so kind and merciful. Lord, we wake up this morning, your mercies are new. And we thank you that we're reminded of that on the cross of your Son. Thank you, Lord, that the penalty of our sin was poured out there so we would not have to deal with it in our future. We bless you, Lord. Strengthen your church. Help us to be strengthened. Help us to be deepened so that we would be able to weather any storm that might be on the horizon that we don't see coming. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.